Hi everyone and thank you so much for joining us here on This Week in Iowa. I'm Sabrina Ahmed and we begin this show breaking down election night. Des Moines mayoral race heading to a runoff between incumbent Frank County and challenger Jack Hatch. Neither County nor Hatch were able to reach a total of more than 50% plus one vote Tuesday night. County and Hatch with 43.28 and 42.67% respectively. Also on the ballot, uh, Chase Holm had about 8%. Joe Grandinet got about 5% of the votes, but neither will be included in the runoff. It is just now between the top two. Joining me tonight with some reaction from election night and also how to move forward is the current mayor of Des Moines, Frank County, longest serving mayor in the city's history. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for asking. Okay. Mr. Mayor, what was your reaction? Well, we knew it was going to be a tough race, and uh, we had four candidates in there, and uh, you know, a, a late entry, and and uh, but a lot of money spent and uh, out on media and everything else. So, it uh, we knew it was going to be good, but we stayed uh, positive. We wanted everybody to know what we're doing and who we are, and uh, we continued to to put a message out. We're lifting up the city. We have a a plan to fix the roads fix the neighborhoods, lift them up, and lower property taxes, which we've already done. And uh, uh, we think that's a positive message and, and one that uh, needs to be carried forward. Now, this isn't your first time in a runoff, but it's been a few years. True. <laughs> so uh, what do you do from here until December 3rd? Well, you've got to just keep the momentum going. You've got to get out. We're going to keep... Uh, engaging with uh, all of our supporters. We're going to keep knocking doors and, and meeting and greeting and seeing what people care about. I mean, that's what I do all the time. Uh, and it's I really enjoy it because that's how we made this city what it was. I remember when we started, you know, we were having an argument over getting the lights back on. And now we've achieved that. Uh, the city is growing. It's great. and But we haven't done it, not by myself. It's working with businesses, working with neighborhoods. What makes Des Moines a great place to want to live, to work, to raise a family, and how do we all work together to create it? And it's been a lot of fun doing it, and we, we look forward to continuing that. Now, of the people who did not vote for you, that would if all of those votes were to go together, that would win. So mm -hmm. uh, what is your reaction to knowing that so many people would not have continued to have you as the mayor? Well, I think we need to keep getting our message out because I think there's there's a lot of folks that, uh, you know, have watched social media that have done stuff uh, and engaged or at least listened to, to certain messages. We need to get our message out and let people know what's really happening out there, how much money we're putting into to neighborhoods, into roads. I mean, we're going to put $300 million into redoing streets. We've improved the uh, the work on potholes, for instance, from 6,000 to 16,000 mm -hmm. uh, because we're getting that feedback from our, our constituents. We know what they want. We're responding to it. and uh, But we need to get that message out because clearly there's a lot of people that uh, haven't engaged and uh, haven't uh, spent as much time uh, in our neighborhoods to, to give us that reaction. We need to know that, and they need to know that I'm out there all the time we're working for them. We want to know what they need, and uh, we're going to try to deliver. And that's what we did with the local option sales tax, and uh, we are delivering. We're fixing streets. 
we're fixing neighborhoods, we're lowering property taxes, we're making Des Moines a better place. Now a lot of the things that you mentioned were things that cost money, but then you just at the very end mentioned lowering property taxes, and that's a complaint I hear a lot from people who live in the city of Des Moines, is our taxes are just so high. Mm -hmm. So what can be done about that? Well, you know, it's kind of a formula. So you, we said that we we're going to lower our levy. Mm -hmm. So 60 cents, which will make our levy as low as it's been in almost eight years. And so uh, we wanted to achieve that. We did that uh, and voted that in. And so we've lowered that, that 60 cents immediately. I'm going to uh, push to uh, have our city manager bring back a, a budget this year that lowers it even further. I'm hopeful that we can do, I'm going to give him directive to bring us back a budget that lowers it another 30 to 50 cents. But we don't control the assessments. And so that's a comparative on, on home sales and values in neighborhoods. And uh, some of our neighborhoods are prospering, and so those folks are seeing their values go up. Um, you know, we also want to support all the other neighborhoods and get their values in their properties. I mean, because that's, you know, it, as you look at life, that's one of the biggest investments and biggest opportunities for people to have some equity in, in life, not just in their bank account, but in the value of their homes. are joined now by Pat Reinard with the Iowa Starting Line and Wes Enos, who's a former Polk County GOP chairman, but also a Bondurant City Councilman. Both of you, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Breaking down the local election that just happened on Tuesday night. So, um, first of all, I want to get into your biggest takeaways, but can you react to the Des Moines mayoral race and also the city council races within Des Moines that are going to a runoff? Were you surprised by that? And what do you think that means for uh, the big city of Des Moines? Sure. I mean, I was, I was texting my friends all throughout the night once I started seeing uh, the returns come back from the Des Moines mayoral race and seeing that <laughs> Jack Hatch was in the lead for a good chunk of the night. Uh, Mayor County ended up being up a little bit uh, after that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's in headed towards a runoff. I think there are a lot of people who did not think that Hatch was going to come that close or push it to that. Uh, so it's quite the surprise for someone like County who has been the mayor for so long. See, and I, I take a little bit of a different uh, take on that. You know, you've got Jack Hatch and you've got Frank County, who've both got very large names in Des Moines. They have very large donor networks, and they had the capability to really go head-to-head -head with one another very effectively. You also had two other candidates in there who were going to divide up the race, so somebody not getting to 50% mm. seemed almost going to happen. I mean, the question was, who was going to finish on top and who was going to finish second? So, And it was by... It wasn't by a yeah, lot of by, folks. They both had 43% yeah. once you start right. to, once you round up or round yeah. down. Right. Um, okay, so what were your other big takeaways? Well, actually first, do you think that a runoff is a good idea? I think a runoff is a great idea. I think when you give people an opportunity to get a 50% majority, that means somebody's got a mandate. It means that more than 50% of people actually wanted one candidate and you're not stuck with a candidate because there were other candidates in the race and somebody wins with 15% of the vote and certainly no mandate. It makes it a little more complicated in some of these city council mm -hmm. races where you've got, you know, six or seven people running and you're voting for three, but it works out. <laughs> okay. Um, now, what were your other big takeaways from the night? What were the themes you saw across the state of Iowa and around the metro? 
Sure. I mean, I'll get started. I mean, as on the Republican side, it's interesting that we saw a, an engagement of both parties in this election cycle. We've never seen that before. Um, as we look at some of the races that were most important and most interesting in the area, uh, we saw Democrats and Republicans really putting money into races for the first time ever. In fact, I wasn't even certain that was legal <laughs> until we checked with the state and found out that it actually is legal. But these are supposed to be nonpartisan races. They, they are, but by most intents and purposes, we kind of know the backgrounds of a lot mm -hmm. of people who are running and then a lot of the policies that they then talk about and push on the city council or school boards sometimes match some of those partisan backgrounds that they may have. Obviously, you know, local stuff, it's not as you know, ideological driven, the, the issues that they're dealing with on city councils, but some of that does get in there a little bit. It can. I think realistically, the big, the big fear that I have more than anything, as a city councilman as well, you know, we do very well in Bondurant. We've got Democrats on that board uh, and Republicans on that board. Uh, when Brian Losey left the Bondurant City Council to serve in the legislature, we actually appointed a Democrat to fill his role, and he's the one that recruited her. Okay. She's been a phenomenal addition to our group. So it's, it's concerning to me that we might actually bring partisan vitriol into our councils, which are really there to help people get variances to build fences, build pools, <laughs> build a shed in the backyard. So it it's kind of concerning that you might run into that kind of gridlock and nastiness uh, at a county level, at a, at a city level. Uh, school boards, though, we've had some issues over the years of whether or not it's uh, fair contracts for teachers. Mm -hmm. And uh, definitely kind of your background and your uh, ideologies on that can have a big difference. Absolutely. But do you think that the kind of the climate that's happening across the country is playing into making these races more partisan? I mean, part of, I think, what happened here, especially in Polk County, where the Polk County Democrats engaged in a big way this year. And th they will certainly tell you, well, hey, all these Republicans <laughs> uh, ended up endorsing all these Republicans. And so it's, you know, even though it's not said quite as, as blatantly, like that's kind of what's happening behind the scenes. But, you know, the Polk County Democrats engaged um, in these races in a big way because they see, especially in these suburbs, that things are moving to the left, that uh, and, and so there is an opportunity there to try and elect more uh, people with Democratic backgrounds to some of these races, and, that, and that's what they did. They flipped, I think it was 13 seats throughout Polk County, mostly centered in the suburbs from a, they, they, someone with a Republican background to a Democratic background. That's actually, I think, inaccurate. I think they won 13 seats. But if you actually look at the seats that they won, uh, you look at Johnston. They took two out of three yeah. uh, seats in Johnston. But John Temple, who was one of the retiring members of Johnston, was a Democrat, registered Democrat. Mm. Uh, the same thing happens in, in Ankeny, where you have Jim McKenna, who'd been on the, the Ankeny City Council for a long time, also a registered Democrat. So he'll be replaced by a Democrat. So in a lot of cases, you have Democrats leaving the board, new Democrats being elected. Now, they did pick up a net gain yeah, of three in Johnston and Grimes. Or not Johnston, uh, uh, Johnston and Urbandale. Urbandale yeah. So Urbandale, there were three retiring Republicans, and two Democrats took, three of the, uh, took two of the three seats. Mm. So I don't think it was quite 13. Now, if you, if you had school boards in there, that's very possible. That, yeah, that, that was where some of them were at. We are very bad on the Republican side about recruiting and training people uh, in school board races. It's just not something that a lot of our candidates get into. Now, to, at, a, at a city level, it was a, it was a smaller number, I think. And, and part of the big reason why some of these parties, I think, engaged more in these races, because uh, especially for some of these larger races, like state legislature um, and here in the Des Moines metro, those can end up you know, determining control of the state house. A lot of times it's people who are city council mm -hmm. members who then step up to run.
Welcome back. National politics took center stage in Iowa last weekend at the Liberty and Justice celebration in downtown Des Moines, bringing the top contenders for the Democratic presidential nomination and thousands, 13,000 Democratic supporters all to Wells Fargo Arena. It was the largest party event before the Iowa caucus in February. It was a chance for the candidates to shine. But in a shocking turn of events, less than two hours before the event began, after his team set up signs around Wells Fargo Arena and supporters came in from across the country, rallying as early as 4 a.m., Beto O'Rourke announced he was dropping out of the race. And with a little more than an hour before the event, he held a press conference. Emotions were high, there were tears, but Beto encouraged his supporters to rally behind the eventual nominee. Inside Wells Fargo Arena, Mayor Pete Buttigieg from South Bend, Indiana, was the first candidate to speak. He had the largest crowd in the room. As he continues to rise in the national and Iowa polls, his focus is winning the Hawkeye State and unifying the country, if the nominee appealing to, be, to a broad spectrum of voters. But I didn't just come here to end the era of Donald Trump. I'm here to launch the era that must come next. Because in order to win and in order to lead, it's going to take a lot more than the political warfare we've come to accept from Washington, D.C. Senator Elizabeth Warren, the frontrunner in many polls, making a clear division in the field, slamming the more moderate Democrats like Mayor Pete and former VP Joe Biden for their vague ideas that are designed not to, quote, offend anyone. If the most we can promise is business as usual after Donald Trump, then Democrats will lose. We win when we offer solutions big enough to touch the problems that are in people's lives. Now, VP, former VP Joe Biden came out the gate with a great lead, but the top of the field has become rather crowded, and he's fighting to maintain his status. He still believes he is the candidate who can beat Trump. The very character of America is on the ballot next November. The very character of the country. And Donald Trump is a genuine threat, a man lacking in the character we need. We are still with Pat Reiner, breaking down the LJ dinner. Uh, Pat, what were your biggest takeaways? You were there with your whole team. Sure, uh, yeah, quite a few. Um, now, I mean, it was, it's the biggest event uh, yet of the Democratic cycle. It's going, probably going to be the biggest one until the caucus. And what we saw were campaigns come to show that uh, they were serious. And Warren and Buttigieg uh, both had by far the largest yes. uh, groups there. Buttigieg actually had the largest of all. Very loud, very excited. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's not nothing. You can buy up all the tickets, but it's another thing to get people from all over Iowa to actually drive in and cheer for your candidate. And so it, it solidified what a lot of us have been seeing on the ground here, that forget about the national polls where Biden's still leading. Here in Iowa, it's between Warren and Buttigieg, with Sanders and Biden close behind. Okay, so talk to me about Sanders and Biden's crowd, though, because Sanders didn't have anyone yeah. inside, and Biden had just one section. Right, so Sanders is doing what he's been doing for a lot of the cycle, which is he is focused on 
the far left in the party and does not try to reach out too much to the broader party. They had an event elsewhere. Their whole thing is turnout, 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 bringing new people, first time caucus goers out to the polls. And, uh, you know, we'll see if that works or not on caucus night. It's one of those real, you know, unpredictable, who knows what's going to happen kind of things. And uh, hard to register in polls, too. It, it is. It, it's, never it's, voted it, it is. It very much is. Um, and then Joe Biden, uh, he, he had a lot of sections they bought, but did not bring in as many folks, uh, which is disconcerting, uh, I would think, to their Iowa operation that he, he certainly seems to be struggling in the state. Uh, he has been more resilient than I think a lot of folks have given him credit for. Uh, but overall, there seems to be some troubling signs that uh, they're not going in the direction that you would want them to. What was your reaction to Beto dropping out sure. right before the event started? Yeah, I don't think that went over some too well with some of the staff and some of the volunteers that had yeah. flown in for that. Uh, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, when you run out of money, you run out of money, I guess. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see if we uh, see several more uh, folks drop out before that was caucus. Be my next question yeah, caucus you. night because some of these people are just running really low on money, and everybody staffed up this year like it was going to be a normal year, and it it's not. There, I mean, we still have over a dozen candidates in the race, and it's splitting the money up uh, all different ways. Right? Who do you see as being the next to drop out? Uh, I mean, Castro has uh, reduced his staff in some mm -hmm. other states, and I, I think you know that's one to look at. Okay. Um, what do you want people at home to understand when they see massive events like this happening in Iowa? I mean, overall, I, I think it's good for the Democratic Party here in the state to show all this excitement and enthusiasm. It was a huge it was production. Well, and and I was I was reading back in a story that the 2007 JJ dinner, the big Obama breakout right. thing, like I thought that was huge. That was seven or eight thousand. This was thirteen thousand right. people. Um, so you know, people are engaged in a huge way. Do you think that all of these people are engaged though, because there are so many candidates? Yeah, it could be, and and I think that's part of the reason why you're going to see such a big uh, turnout on caucus night. You know, well over three hundred thousand would be my guess, which would shatter the record, uh, because you have so many different candidates who pull from different parts of the electorate. So, diff you know, different candidates are bringing in different new groups uh, of people who really like them. So looking ahead to February, if you think that it's down really to Warren and Buttigieg for the top two. What does that look like for winning caucus night? Because they do sure. bring completely different crowds. Uh, they, they do to a certain extent. I mean, both of them are, I think, are doing well at building out a broader coalition in the party. Like, it's not just all former Bernie people or former Hillary people, which, which you might see with Sanders and Biden. Uh, and I would also note, we are we do still have three months to go, so, you know, Bougez <laughs> is going to rise up here, but then that means attacks are more focused on him. Uh -huh. uh, but, but overall, uh, you know, there, there could be a couple more twists and turns. I wouldn't be surprised if someone else starts to, to move up and get some momentum if Biden continues to decline, and I think we'll be looking between Klobuchar, Harris, and Booker for that. Okay, very interesting. Yeah. Klobuchar, Harris, and Booker. Klobuchar had quite the yeah. turnout. And Harris, you know, she took up two full sections. Yeah. That was a rowdy group. She had people in from Chicago. She had people from all over the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, uh, you know, a number of these senators are, are have large operations in the state and seem to have, uh, you know, excitement. Um, the, the one thing that's going to be interesting, though, is impeachment moves on. If we end up having a trial in the Senate, which it kind of looks like we might, that could happen in January. Senators are not allowed to leave. I think I think they got to be there six days out of the week. So 
all these senators could be stuck in D.C. The only people who aren't are Buttigieg, Biden, like Andrew Yang and Tom Steyer. And Buttigieg is the one who's shown that he will go barnstorm across the state a lot. Okay, well, that would really put a wrench in things. (laughs) Yes, it would. Thank you very much for being here. We appreciate the conversation as always. Thank you for listening to the This Week in Iowa podcast. You can find the This Week in Iowa podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe now. You can also watch This Week in Iowa every Sunday at 9 a.m. on Local 5. For the latest in Iowa political news, follow This Week in Iowa on Twitter or visit weareiowa.com.